and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 459. That's right. We are talking about Green Lantern number eight, as well as a couple other things, but, you know, time permitting. So we won't tell you until we know for sure. <laughs> Zero commitment. <laughs> that's our that's our motto up here. It should be, but it rarely is. <laughs> uh, all right, Dan, you're up, man. All right, so Green Lantern number eight, written by Jeffrey Thorne, art by Chris Cross and Marco Santucci, inks by Juan Castro, colors by Michael Atya, and letters by Rob Lay. Uh, the title this time is Lucas Later, which is Latin for the Bearer of Light. So John, Lonar, and a small team of Quest Lanterns arrive on the planet Enactus to save Kilowog, Hanu, and anyone native to that world who hasn't been brainwashed into joining the cause of the mysterious Lightbringer. Lonar insists that John needs to stop thinking like a Green Lantern and, you know, look at the bigger picture, embrace what he's become, and fulfill his role as an ascended being. Uh, John thinks Lonar is full of crap, but can't pass up the chance to fly through the Lightbringer's portal and confront the problem at its source. What he finds is a massive humanoid being made of light with the same chest emblem as the angels, and the same mysterious hooded figure in the chair that we haven't seen since issue two. Uh, meanwhile, over on Oa, Joe gets back to find Counselor Fell going through some partially <laughs> reconstructed Guardian records where they find evidence that a pair of Guardians named Koyos and Nima Sini disagreed with the way the rest of the Guardians were doing things and had been secretly working together on something for a very long time. Nima Sini specializes in mechanical technology, and it's unknown what special skill Koyos brings to the table but it might be something pretty unorthodox for a guardian since he spent a month on Sorcerer's World about two years ago. That's the homeworld of Euridian and the Bright Circle, the group who attacked Oa and opened that portal back in issue one. Uh, during that month, Nemocini spent 10 days locked away in her lab and five days on Earth. Apparently, she spent a lot of time going back and forth between those two planets and were shown five different sized domes in her lab. Counselor Fell finds records that green spectrum, ener green spectrum energy was going off in Nimusini's lab and evidence that she'd received weapon schematics from the Weaponers of Quard and realizes that Nimusini had been using this lab as a forge to make weapons before being attacked from the shadows by Nimusini herself, apparently the only guardian who isn't currently incapacitated. 
Uh, speaking of Guardians, the young Guardians from the Grant Morrison run have now merged with the much older Templar Guardians who, you know, significantly de-aged once the merging was over. I don't know what this is. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Uh, we also check in on Ayalande and the other depowered Green Lanterns who have been found and transported to Oa. And everyone's confused and angry and wants to do something, but the United Planets lockdown isn't letting them get involved. So Joe gets around it by using her United Planets privileges to officially recognize all former Green Lanterns as citizens of Oa, giving them free reign to go anywhere they want other than the Guardian's Tower and the Science Cell Prison. Uh, she leaves Simon in charge of filling them all in on everything that's been going on and granting them access to the armory before going off world to try and figure out what Koyos was doing on Sorcerer's World for 27 days. Ta-da! Nice job, Dan. Well, at least there's no time or any artwork. Yeah, I haven't seen Crisscross since like the 90s or 2000 or something. I'm sure he's been working. Oh, yeah, he's always been working. Yeah. Okay, because like the last time I was really, I really paid attention to him was when he was on the uh, that first Genus Vell Captain Marvel series. Yeah, I'm trying to pull him up on League of Comic Geek Geeks because I'm pretty sure he uh, he's been doing some stuff. I've actually yes, uh, Static season one. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. He's uh he's credited on issues five and six and uh, a bunch of other stuff as well, which I'm looking up now, but I won't. I won't just sit here and fill there, the air. There's going to be a new, a different contest, which I'll probably Jim and I will do on pre-birth because Chad will never listen to it. And what, <laughs> what, it'll, what it'll be is having a new contest to say how deep into any, into the next regular Lantern cast episode, talking about a Green Lantern current issue review before Chad brings up either Tom Raimi or Rainy or, uh, as I just drew a blank, Dexter Soy. I think that's going to be the hidden contest. <laughs> but but you won't know what is actually going on. Alright. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm seeing lots of stuff for Chris Cross, including he worked... Uh, I'd have to click into it to give you specific issues or whether or not he was ink or, or penciler or whatever. But I'm seeing the Green Lantern core stuff around the era of the New 52. I'm seeing the Lantern Godhead stuff. I'm seeing Justice League Odyssey. Um, I'm, seeing a, I'm seeing a bunch of stuff. Uh, like I said, the new Static series uh superman wonder woman truth justice yeah a couple a couple of things that are relatively current so basically i've been i've been reading his work for years and never noticed (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah for sure um but yeah no uh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you mark go ahead i don't remember where i was anymore (laughs) It (laughs) It, it, it doesn't even matter uh let's talk about the Let's let's talk about this issue. First part of the issue was good. The John Stewart part is good. So once again, we're like two ships that have crossed in the night here. Where now the John Stewart part of the book is really really good. There are some things I'll, I'll get to in a second about the back part of the book, which is okay, but it's still being brought down by the same things that have been. I haven't liked it for a while, and with the with the Joe stuff. But the John Stewart stuff is interesting. Who these beings are, with the. Uh, with the little symbol, of, so we that kind of almost in a way almost looks like the guy garden of warrior symbol, but we know it isn't. But it kind of reminded me of that when I'm looking at the angels, kind of like wearing it. It's kind of it will be interesting to see who these people really are. Of course, we'll wait a little. We'll have to wait a tad longer because and we discussed this few few episodes ago when when the discussion came about how long the first quote unquote season of this run was going to be, and I thought it might have been 
we might have been t- being a tad too literal and not thinking it was going to be less than 12. And based on the current solicits, solicits, excuse me, that it's going to be 12 issues. So we're only like about two thirds of the way through, give or mm-hmm. take. Uh, I'm So I will be curious to see how that plays out in this. I do like I appreciate the fact that even though John obviously is super powered up now, he still is for the most part was still thinking like a Green Lantern and, and was not going to forget his Green Lantern roots as he kind of made it clear in this issue that I making it clear that he was a Green Lantern. And of course, Lornar was being annoying as hell that I can. So I can understand why that was pissing John off. Getting to the second part of the story, the stuff with the Guardians obviously was interesting because it's going down the road of at least guaranteeing that Dan's going to be at least partially right that the Guardian, that not all the Guardians seemingly are involved in what's going on here, but some Guardians are involved in what in in this whole cluster of what's going on and betraying either betraying the core, probably for, for the greater good, one of those things, and because of their own personal differences with the other Guardians. The part I hated about this was the whole Joe talking to the rest of the lanterns and like people get your shit together and all that. It's like, and he, actually, I really didn't like the whole butt hurt line too. It was like, well, somebody's butt hurt when they're looking at the, 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 t- the recordings of the guardians. I thought that was kind of re- stupid too, but yeah, it doesn't, I don't think it comes across well for Joe with the whole talking down to the rest of the core. Listen, I'm the one looking out for your best interest. When, when the, when the green, other green lanterns are acting exactly like they should, they're green lanterns and nobody knows who the F she is. And they should be, be doing exactly and acting exactly the way they are. And, I don't know. I th- I don't I don't think this is really. If we didn't read J- Joe in her own book, I think we wouldn't be cutting her a lot as much slack as we we as maybe we have, and how she's being portrayed in this book. I think if this was our first introduction to Joe and just and having a bare a bare bones introduction of why her ring's working, I don't think there's a whole lot to like about Joe and the way she's coming across here. So that's. Those are my initial thoughts. Go ahead. Uh, I, I, I too kind of, I, and maybe this is, maybe this is uh, his point. I, I did feel annoyed alongside John with Lonar. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, cause correct me if I am wrong, uh, but most comic fans who have been reading with the longevity and uh, the amount of time that you Mark or Dan have, you guys have had like, moments in your life where you just dropped comics right like you took a break from comics and then came back to it i haven't had that so i'm wondering if i'm wondering if i'm just like in my effort to stay in this world as long as the interest allows maybe i'm missing some aspect of comic fandom of of this sort of leave it alone and come back to it renewed thing but i'm getting annoyed with tropes that have been played out like the talking in circles guidance thing of somebody who knows what's happening, but won't tell you and like all that shit. So I'm getting pretty annoyed with that. Dan, I saw you unmute. So is, is, would it be safe to say it's, it's pretty common that most comic fans who've been reading for a long period of their life have dropped it and come, come back to it at some point. Oh yeah. I mean the, the usual thing that it was always kind of the conventional wisdom that, Oh, you get into comics when you're a kid. And then by the time you, hit high school or college you tr- you fall out of them and then once you're an adult and have your shit together you get back into them again like it was it was different for me like i didn't have i didn't fall out of it until like after college and then came and then like took like a couple of years away from it and then came back and 
and I mean, I don't think it's it's odd for you to have not fallen out of it yet, just because you started later in life than a lot of people did. Yeah. But I I also don't think I don't think like the old the old like rate of dropping and returning is necessarily going to hold true anymore considering like like it's a whole new generation of readers out there access to the stuff is a whole lot different i mean if you need to take a break you need to take a break but sometimes it just means you need to read more different things like i know you've been like you've been like doubling down on indie stuff lately which i think is a very good good decision and i think will keep you invested in comics for much longer than if you zeroed in on just marvel or dc or just green lantern yeah i i find i'm getting more gratification out of indie stuff these days which isn't to say i'm not enjoying lantern stuff anymore or even dc stuff anymore it's just there's there's nothing continuity wise for me to be the expert on there's nothing for me to pick apart other than what's on the page as opposed to what came before and where they're going and all that other stuff. Um, I can just sort of be immersed in that world. And plus, you know, I, with the creative credit stuff that I do uh, and the, the close friendship I have with the people at my LCS and their involvement in the indie industry. uh, Yeah. It definitely helps to serve, uh, keep, keep me in the loop and keep me interested. But uh, anyways, tangent Uh, beyond that, uh, uh, the only other thing I found interesting here wasn't necessarily in, in we're talking just the first part. It sounds like we want to get to some more specifics in the, uh, in the second part, but oh yeah, as for this, as for this first half, I'm definitely intrigued uh, as to what's going on here uh, in terms of this guy in the chair, who's finally back, who's referring to the, the big warrior symbol guy as, as his God. The other thing I found intriguing, did you guys happen to pick up on, uh, Kilowog's face throughout this. He is looking um, at John and looking at John very intently, and he is holding eye contact. Like there's, a, they even make sure to devote in an, uh, a panel, small as it is, and it's a, it's the panel that says none of this matters. Kilowog is looking up at John. He hasn't said a word to him since John appeared on the scene. He hasn't tried to get his attention, anything really like that at all. Uh, for for the most part, he's just sort of on the ground helping Hanu, but. Kilowog is quietly observing all of this and they're making it a point to showcase that Kilowog is quietly observing this. He's not the only one because on the page where John sees the line of brainwashed people marching through the portal, one of them is looking over its shoulder at him. Like it, it, I'm sure there's other ways to read this, but that to me felt like, Oh, this person is just playing along until they yeah. can figure out what to do because they didn't want to get beaten to death, but they weren't brainwashed. So I guess we're going to, I'm going to walk in this line and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it means. I have no speculation for the listeners out there. You guys of what I would think that could mean. But when you, when you give me a character with the gravitas and history and uh, you know, uh, relationship with the earth lanterns that Kilowog has, and you spend some time, to show him it's one thing to give uh, prominent alien lantern lines. Uh, it's another to choose to focus on them, but not give them lines, which almost makes it a weightier moment, uh, especially given how well Kilowog knows the earth lanterns. It also could be that Kilowog is kind of a counterweight to Lonar because Lonar is up here trying to pull John in the direction 
of being this big, important, ascendant, cosmic, whatever, while Kilowog is is down the is literally down to earth. He's standing on the ground helping people like Green Lanterns do. And he's watching John very much in the clouds above him. So like it could just be like a like a visual metaphor of Kilowog watching John become more distant from the Green Lanterns and the people they're trying to help. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. since since there's time travel, maybe Kilowog knows shit. True. Could be anything. I really love the color on I don't know pages is when John flies through the barrier. It's a it's the end prologue page where like the brightness of his green and how it contrasts against like the deep reds and oranges of that portal. Like it's it's a beautiful beautifully colored page. Like like who was a uh, God who did the colors? Michael Atya. Like he really brought it with this page. Yeah yeah I really yeah I definitely liked it. Um, especially the, the 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 title page where they're coming down from the sky that, that looks mm-hmm. really cool in the rain as well all right uh anything we want to say about these guardian angel things what were they called again the oh i don't remember light bringers or, or that's no, the name the of light, the god yeah the light bringer is their boss or whatever okay i don't know i don't know i i don't know if they're gonna be i'm just thinking about of them as like the generic grunts of the story until something says they're more important than that Gotcha. All right, on to part two. Yes. All right, where do we want to start? I, I, you know, Mark, I agree with Mark that this this story is letting Far Sector do a lot of heavy lifting, because if we like it, it does the absolute bare minimum to set Joe up, and even then, that just comes in the form of like a couple lines here and there in a few scattered issues but if like if you did not read far sector first you really would not know who this character is what she's all about or why you should like her i mean i think this issue is a lot better than her her chat with sinestro but even then it's like we're getting we're getting a you know the store brand of joe instead of the name brand of joe that makes any sense yeah I was going to say, plus, at the same moment when she's kind of copping the attitude, saying, hey, listen, you know, listen up, people, get you get your shit together. At the, and the same part of the story, we're finding out that, A, she's acknowledging that she, she didn't even know Guardians have names because she spent like five minutes with one one time. So it's like, yeah. and then and then and then you'll wonder and then you'll wonder, Joe, why people who never heard any da- about even heard your name before or a little unwilling to just kowtow and take orders from you and give up their all their training and what every instinct in their body tells them to do because you listen, people, I'm, I don't want to do this, but I, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's asking a lot. And again, I don't know, again, if, if you're, you were like we both said, if not for f- getting some goodwill from far sector and giving us some explanation about who she is as a character, then this is, it's not the best character portrayal of Joe and, and, and what her strengths are supposed to be. I don't think eight issues into this. It's really doing a good job. I mean, we know John really is supposed to be the main story, the main character here. But Joe has been the main character of the of half the book since they've decided to split it into two stories for like at least the last six issues. So the reality is, yeah, I don't I sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Back to you. 
No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, look, I'm not surprised you didn't like the page where Joe literally looks at you and says, Mark, listen, I know you don't like that I'm here doing this. I don't, you don't want me to do, be here doing this. I don't want to be here doing this, but we both have to just live with it for a little while longer. It's okay, Mark. It's okay. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I, I always wondered if we would get mentioned in a Green Lantern comic, but this is how it happens. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the saving grace of this, of this whole thing is the fact that she acknowledges that she has no business being in this position. True. Like, I don't think that absolves them from not, doing it better like i i fully like i think there's a lot of good material to be mined from the idea of okay joe it's your first day on oa you're gonna meet the green lantern corps for the first time and oh by the way everything's on fire and your bosses are dead and now you're in charge bye figure it out but they just sort of kind of push that to the side unless they they really need it for a certain page here and there but I don't know. I I feel like this scene was supposed to be like the inciting moment of her winning over the former lanterns since she defused the fight and gave and found a way to give them exactly what they wanted. So, I don't know. I've, I I feel like we're not going to see them in conflict with her after this, whether that make makes sense or not. So, I'd agree with you except for one thing. Like it's one thing for you to write in a scene where Joe says, I don't want to be here. You don't want me to be here, but this is where we're at. This is the situation we're in. We find ourselves and shit's got to get done. Okay. It would mean a whole lot more. That moment would mean a whole lot more if you didn't try to force down our throat, the idea that she's got this handled and she knows everything there is to know. Mark references specific panel, and I'm going to reference that same panel, but in relation to a different one. In one of these panels, uh, the Kaluan, whose name I always forget, says, uh, uh, Koyos left Oa for 27 days, destination Xerox, the so-called Sorcerer's World. To which Joe replies, okay, that's weird. Owens and Magic, not a good mix. What the hell did he do there? Then another panel, so that's one to three panels later the the Kaluan says do you not know this and joe says i don't know the guardians i've only ever met one of them for like 10 minutes i didn't even know they had names which she says three panels after she pretends she knows things about owens and magic like i get it maybe that's like some base level stuff she picked up i don't know when she was like doing her info dump on sinestro or Maybe she had more of those moments where she was deep diving in archives and found out. I don't freaking know. But we keep writing in these moments where to make her seem like a better detective or whatever, she just knows things that somebody who's, let's face it, new to the core, maybe not new to her role, but new to the core, shouldn't really know. And then get mad at the reader and or other people for her putting herself in these situations. It's like, Okay, great. She can lead, but is it? It's okay for her to every once in a while turn to Simon and go like, "Hey, I'm new to this. So, what can you tell me about the Guardians?" You know what I mean? Like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. I think I think something that contributes to this is also the fact that that in this issue in particular, he's trying really hard to give uh, Joe and Counselor Fell like a like witty banter like so much like I I really like the pages where they were discussing what they found in the Guardian archive but 
so I got so like anxious from like okay you're wasting how many panel like panels on just like Joe making like like some quirky earth colloquialism and counselor fell going like what is that oh oh I see what you mean well yes then that means this then yes like that that happens like three or four times in this conversation and it's supposed to it's clearly supposed to be funny but it's not funny and it's just taking page time away from the stuff I'm actually interested in reading. And I don't know. I, part of me like thinks that between that and between, and the, the comments about the guardians, like the natures of the guardians themselves makes me think like, this is just a buddy cop pairing that isn't working out. Like, like the writer thinks it is, you know? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's like Simon, tell, tell me what, tell me what you know about the Guardians. Well, they keep giving me shitty assignments. I can tell you that. <laughs> Simon, can you tell me anything about the Guardians and magic? Magic, you want to know magic? I can see the future sometimes. I can Does heal. Anybody ever? I can, can heal people. Help me with this? <laughs> I can heal people for no reason. Yeah, what am I doing in this suit? I should go to Med Bay and wake up Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a book and they took it away. <laughs> Fuck these guys. Uh-huh. Okay, I did it. I'm confessing I did it. <laughs> he could have also been valuable in the conversation before she confronted Sinestro. His ring is that shows him was a combination of Hal and Sinestro. Maybe he could have, in the time that he's had the ring, had a unique perspective on who Sinestro is and to, in order to prep her before she confronted him. But we no, all, she went to data files. We all know we are the only people that ever remember that. That's the reason the most interesting thing about Simon that they never go back to about him. Hey ring, Hal and Sinestro ring, find someone like me. Okay. Simon Baz, there's, there, there's your solution. You're correct. It could, it could, it could be something about Simon could, yes. Who Simon is could give a, a beneficial inkling to Joe about, well, I don't know that much about Sinestro personally, but if, you know, if I were dealing with just something, but you're, you're right. Yeah. Well, he's, he fought Sinestro once, I think. Yeah. He, 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 huh? uh, he hung out with them in uh, the dead zone or whatever it was called. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Before Sinestro screwed everybody over to get out of the, to get out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember, he he Sinestro was like, "I'm gonna take your ring." So Simon pulls out a gun and shot him. And Sinestro's like, "You shot me! What the hell, man?" Oh man. <laughs> what I know is you don't trust that bastard. <laughs> well, I knew that. Well, hey, that's all I got. Is anybody else almost a little disappointed that uh, the reveal, one of the reveals, turns out to be the Guardians are at it again? Well, not Dan, because well, Dan, Dan suspected that, but maybe not in the way we're getting it. Let's just go right into the Guardians. So when Joe and Counselor Fell are digging through the fragmented Guardian archives that they've been recovering, we see a conversation between, you know, on one side of it is Koyos and Imasini, and on the other side of it is all the rest of the Guardians, because there's, there's a disagreement about what they're, they're intending to do. And the bits of dialogue we get are Koyos saying, you know, they're trying, they're finally trying to evolve. We must help them, but this is not the way they must be allowed to and being cut off by saying like, we've reached a consensus. This is a necessary path. And he insists, no, you don't understand. And 
the Guardian is basically saying their union of planets will need shepherds. As always, we will be those shepherds. And Koyos and Nemesini storming off saying, this is an error we will regret. And a few pages later, yeah, there it is. A few pages later, we see an image of a panel from the end of issue one, where Koyos and Nemesini are addressing the United Planets Council on behalf of the Guardians and seem to be in favor of what the rest of the Guardians wanted to do. And Counselor Fell even points out, like, they're, they're going against... They're like they're clearly at odds with the Guardians numbers, yet they're they're going along with it. Basically, it seems like the Guardians as a whole are intending like their plan seems to have been to insert themselves into the United Planets to kind of guide the direction of that group's organization and of their member worlds. So basically what it seems like to me is that. All of those concessions the Guardians made in issue two, where they gave up a third of their territory and reassigned all those lanterns and all this stuff, was basically them pretending to give up power, when in reality they are embedding themselves deeper into the political and power structures of the universe than they've ever been before. And as sinister and malicious as this issue makes Nemocini seem by the end... I think <laughs> I think this in a Jeffrey Thorne's favorite misdirecty fashion, I think we're meant to think that she and Koyos are up to no good when they may actually be trying to save everybody from the rest of the Guardians. I guess that's possible. She does look pretty ominous on that last splash page. And it's weird because if you look at what she says when and I mean we don't I don't know if Counselor Fell is alive or not because like if you look if you look at what she says it could honestly be taken as i'm the villain ha 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 or or like i'm i'm doing covert i'm doing black ops shit for the right reasons she says like you really are you really are clever uh, uh all call units will access your data for centuries if any of you survive and it seemed like the framing of the page makes this look threatening but maybe it actually isn't like, I don't know. It just, it just seems like, cause I had to reread that, that uh, page of the data file a couple of times because I'm, it, it occurred to me, I'm like, wait a minute. It seems like the guardians in general are up to bad shit, but these two don't want to do it. That doesn't make sense with these two being the bad guys of the story. Maybe they're actually not. <laughs> maybe so, maybe it once the Guardians eventually get out of that weird stasis death state they're in, everyone is in trouble. <laughs> well, the future solicits, I think, would go against that. So I'm wondering, yeah, it's interesting because I'm also thinking about this in terms of my professional life, too. Like, I'm just starting to get used to the idea of having a career as opposed to a job that pays the bills. You know what I mean? And uh, one of the things that, you know, they've, you know, leadership at my company has been trying to embed in me is like, sure, all of your life with the companies that you've worked for, you've learned the the survival skill, essentially, of making yourself as indispensable as one can be in a work for higher state or whatever, making yourself indispensable so that it's hard for somebody to lose you, right? 
But if you do that, where do you go from there? Like it's not it's not just preventing you from losing your job. It's also preventing you from moving elsewhere. You know, uh, if if they feel that they can't lose you in that role because you're so critical to it. So you have to learn the benefits of teaching people beneath you uh, in terms of the, the the structure of the company to be able, you know, who's going to replace you when you move elsewhere, um, which, you know, up until this point in my professional life has been a, a warning sign, like to train my replacement, screw you uh, kind of a thing. So I'm sort of reading that in this light too. So this, this is kind of where I'm coming at it is first of all, when uh, when Joe says, who the hell are the skinny guys and referring to the blue skinned uh, tall ones behind the, the guardians, those Grant Morrison are guardians, yeah. Grant Morrison guardians. Okay. Just making sure. And do we feel an agreement that when they say children, they're just basically referring to the sentient beings of the universe. That's what I thought. Like I, I've thought for a moment that they might have been been referring to the Grant Morrison Guardians because this conversation also happened during the uh, like the merger between those two generations of Guardians. But I, I think like the fact that like the final two panels of it are explicitly talking about the United Planets, like I think it is the Guardians talking about every race younger than them as children also actually i need to check but i believe that when koyos is talking to the assembly at the end of issue one he even says something like we are not your parents you're not our children we're more like your older siblings or whatever so i think yeah like i think i'm i'm pretty confident that the children being referred to is everybody else Okay, so then the way I read this is, and this is maybe what you were saying, but I'm just sort of rephrasing it here, uh, is Koyos and Nimosini are in front of the Guardians, both Young and Templar, and their idea is they're saying, look, there are children or the people, sentient beings of the universe, he says, are finally trying to evolve. We must help them, but this is not the way. They must be allowed to, and then he gets cut off. It sounds like just kind of inferring from context of everything Koyos and Nemosini seem like they're trying to push the idea of the other sentient beings of the universe have finally evolved to the point we were when we first started coming to the idea of peacefully ruling and and bringing order to the universe let's we we need to let them take that stage you know, make their mistakes, do what they're going to do and, and, and sort of keep an eye on things, but not necessarily continue our control of it, which the guardians, the other guardians are disagreeing, saying that they need to be involved. Whereas it seems like Koyos and Emosini are wanting a more hands-off approach and let them, let the United Planets do what it will to that would- make their own and make their own mistakes in their role and, and, and not, be exactly like the guardians that came before them. That could also tie the two halves of the book together in a literal way, because Lonar has talked about John's ascension as an evolution. And in this issue says, you know, the, the source sent you set you on another road, John, your quote unquote guardians did all they could to divert you. So maybe like the fact that earth has reached up, like the guardians at the beginning of this book, like in the first two issues or so, 
openly admitted that Earth is going to give rise to a new generation of gods one day. And John is one of the first ones, first people to ascend. And what happened? Well, for some reason, his ascension was locked away. Mm. So maybe the Guardians are trying... Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe the Guardians are actively trying to keep everyone else down so that they don't have their position challenged in in relation to some of some of that that might be a good point to jump in based on the whole context of everything we learned in the issue i also thought going back and look at that part of the conversation between the basically the two different groups of guardians here the pro and the con i thought they also could have been referring to maybe the the magic users too about needing to that they're trying to evolve they're finally ready to evolve just because we, as we find out later in the book, the sabbatical that was taken to that sorcery world that I thought, I, I'm not saying you, that's more logical or I would be betting on that more than what you guys are saying. But that's one of the things I thought about after the fact, once you get the de- get the travel agenda of both these other two guardians, that it made me think that maybe there's a bigger chunk of the conversation that was missing about what, it, because conveniently enough, we know the part before children is bleeped out. So we don't exactly know. Yeah. what was said so that thought made that that almost gave that at least made me think of the possibility that maybe you know he was pleading the case of of these beings that we've kept down that we've tried to control and limit all this time but now they're ready to they're finally ready to make this step and we should you know basically allow them to do that and the guardian's like no 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 no. obviously we're meant not to know because of exactly what the conflict is about because we're we're like jumping right in media rest we don't have the full conversation yeah, like the, a lot of what happens in this half of this oh. issue is the kind of kind of a info, info dump that I like in that it gives you just enough information to feel like you've learned something, but not so much that you actually know what it means. And it's it's just on the right side of being thought provoking instead of frustrating. I know what I know what the non-translated part says. Oh, ha- what what? <laughs> Look, look at it very closely. On the, on the first I'll, page. I'll read where... it to you. I'll read it to you slowly so you can see what I'm saying. It is a mistake. This is not what we have vowed to. Oh, God. This, yeah. this is not evolution. Oh, that's very good. I didn't even think to try. <laughs> Does that make sense based on what you guys are saying? It is a mistake. This is not what we have vowed. And I, I think that's two, but it could be something else. Uh, this is not evolution. Yeah, no, that looks right to me. Yeah, at least most of it is. Obviously, the beginning is. It is, it is a mistake. Is certainly pretty crystal clear. And um, I just assumed it would be gibberish and moved on, but that's that's awesome. And it's just I could a, be I could be wrong about vowed too, based on. Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I was trying to figure out what else that could be. If it's, this is not what we. It's W O. Oh, this is not what we have worked for. You're right. Yeah. It is a mistake. Yes. This is not what we have worked for. This is not evolution. That's what that says. Yes, yes. That that I agree with that. And looking at it now, I think that was the one part that those those two words I was not 100% sure about. But yeah, I think you're right. It, it is worked for. So we still don't have the full context of the conversation, but right. we, but we under but we see what the crux of the conflict is, regard regardless of what the we see what their positions are. We just don't know what 
what is specifically they're taking positions on in particular. I mean, they could even be talking about their own evolution because immediately after this, the the old guardians absorb the young guardians. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm still not clear why they did that. I mean, they get visibly younger from it, but yeah. And they do make a point of making sure we know that uh, Koyos and Nimusini did not participate in that ritual. You know what's interesting to me, Dan, you've spent a lot of time talking about how this relates to um, to Mosaic. But in, in addition to the context of actually what happens in Mosaic, you've also just expressed sheer uh, astonishment that somebody's actually finest, finally referencing that story to begin with. Yes. All this talk of people being ready for evolution and the next step in in a kind of ascending and all this stuff makes me think of another story we haven't touched in DC in several decades. Do you know where I'm going with this? When was the last time the guardians came down and said the humans were ready for evolution? Oh God. Was, um, Millennium. Yeah. I was trying to remember. It's like, it's the one where they, they give like people powers and then they like leave with the Zamorans for a while. Yeah. God, if this has to do with millennium, Jesus. <laughs> if, I don't know that, that we're going to go that far, but like, I, hey, he pulled he pulled Mosaic out of the bag, man. I mean, I, once we found out that, oh, one of these Guardians has like spent like 10 days in a lab doing stuff and five days on Earth and has been going back and forth and here's some weird domes. Wonder what's under them. I'm like, you know, it's last time a guardian went to earth for a while it it took a city so i don't know i don't know are there people under those domes what's going on <laughs> hmm. there's also so maybe this is nothing or maybe it's something we'll see in a like a couple weeks when the issue comes out but when um there's a panel here where joe and counselor fell are looking at two screens of of uh Nimasini and Koyos working in the lab. Yeah, I'm looking at that. And too. they yeah, and they do that thing where it's like, oh, we're gonna take existing panels and just Photoshop them at an angle so they're on computer screens. Except they usually do that for to reference stuff we've seen before, and we've never seen either of these panels before, which means you know, maybe they're from a future issue, maybe they were going to be in this issue, but it got scrapped, or like like the fact that it was presented in this way makes it stand out to me in a way that makes me think it's important. And in those panels, it looks like they're doing some weird experiments with rainbow energy, which is like, oh, they're they're playing with the spectrum in some weird way. And here's here's them looking at a weird ball of yellow light, which doesn't look all that different from um that shot we saw of of Koyos flying to the sorcerer's world, which has swirling yellow light on top of it. So like, hey, she's she knows technology. Maybe he went to learn magic or something. I don't know. And hey, are they doing something with the emotional spectrum? And then that makes me remember it, the end of issue one when Lonar first showed up and started questioning, hey, do we really understand what we think we understand about the emotional spectrum? Makes you think, doesn't it? Well, bye. And we haven't heard anything about that since. So like this, God, there's so much about this half of this issue that could go off in so many different directions. And I don't know if I'm overthinking it or not. And I kind of love that. And in, in that panel, couldn't they be, wor- couldn't they be working with, with the magic creature that we saw in the first issue? Oh, maybe. Somehow? 
don't what the the panel with the two screens. Yeah, we it, well, yeah, but the, the, the in particular when the, with both of them, kind of with with uh, like the thing Dan mentioned, which almost looks like an energy swirl, and it kind of like looks like they're trying to encase yeah, it. Yeah, like something. that big yellow snake thing that almost ate Oa, and Ganthet had it in the flashback. Yeah, it just makes me just yeah, it just makes it just made me wonder if it's almost like because it almost looks like there could be like either either contacting it or almost trying to encase it in something. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it may not be the same thing, but it, but it is whatever they're doing. It almost looks you could make a case. It almost looks like they're trying to make a almost potentially make a bomb out of it or control it somehow to do, make whatever it is to control it with whatever the two sides or whatever they have, including that almost. A, well, it's not really a gauntlet looking thing, but you could you could certainly tie that in somehow into Kelly's gauntlet. Oh, we, I, I have a well. Yeah, I know. We yeah. were getting. I mean, I, the only I thing, the only other thing I think I have to say about the Guardians here is the fact that. Like, 27 days is such a good number of days because it's enough time that anything could have happened. Like, like think about it. A guardian of the universe with a secret agenda spent 27 days on a planet of wizards. What couldn't happen? <laughs> That's why it's hard. It it's it seems hard to believe that they're they they're still not gonna. There may be no good guys here because of guardians. Yeah. So they could be different levels of bad, but it's, I think it's hard to believe based on what they're doing, the secretive nature of what they're doing. Again, if you look at the solicits and the whatever and whatever this anti-guardian thing is that's that they're going to be dealing with to wrap up this this arc that. You, it's, you would find it hard to believe that that's not all tied to what they're doing, which would make them the bad guys of well, the it arc. It could be. If, but again, if but if Thorne is really determined to throw things out just to turn, the, even though we haven't seen a whole lot of payoff on that concept yet, that he's doing things to be unconventional on purpose, and here's the payoff for it. He could still be doing it, but we're eight issues in, and we haven't gotten a whole lot yeah. of that so far. Although on the, the anti-Guardian thing from the solicits, at first, like when I saw, I read that solicit and I thought, oh, this is going to be a lot more conventional than I was hoping for. And then I realized that Guardian doesn't have to refer to these blue people because like John was a Guardian and kind of is again. And we still don't know. We we haven't peeked under that Lightbringer hood yet. So let's see what happens. True. I assume the next thing we want to get to is the Guardian stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want. I didn't really have anything on that, but like, go for it. So data uh, tracking co-temporal data loads of Quardian weapon schematics to the target site. So Quardian stuff. She says Quardian weapon masters, Quardian weapons. Oh, Metron, this is not a laboratory. It's a forge. Okay. And then she says before that, the thing says surges of green spectral energy. So what could they have been building Weapon-wise, using Quardian techniques with green energy. You say Quardian, you may start to think yellow, but they say surges of green energy at that time. So green energy mixed with Quardian weapon mechanics. But the thing that's throwing me off here is the tracking co-temporal. Temporal meaning time. So what does that have to do with anything? Can we think of anything? I mean, the only thing that I could think is, hey, maybe she built Kelly's gauntlet. Yeah. Like there's a there's a, a shot in there 
that is clearly supposed to take place during issue one because John and Simon are there and he's in his dress uniform. Oh, we never saw that hold on. Before. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, she... During his absence, Nemo Sini spent 10 days cloistered in her laboratory and five on your home world. And that was two years ago. Yes. This when, book when from, did Young Justice take place? When did what? Young Justice take place. Where we oh, met Kelly. I, could it have been two years ago? I mean, it could have been. If she spent five days on Earth two years ago and she was messing with Quarian weapon technology... Which they've made a point to say that the gauntlet is not Owen. Yeah, the Kelly's gauntlet could be a really good guess. Also, Kelly looks evil as hell in this panel, doesn't she? Like she's giving yeah, us she sort of like a side eye look. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they probably want us. They probably want us to believe she's just having that Kelly attitude. But you're right. She def she definitely looks on on that screen. It almost looks like she's in cahoots. Which who knows? Maybe she is because that would go along with. Thorne's idea that she's not a Green Lantern and she never was. Now I'm I'm glad she's not giving sorry up. she's not giving us the side eye she's giving Nemosini the side side eye. Well, sort of. It's a, in theory in yeah in it could be open to interpret. It's probably towards it's probably towards the Guardians, but it may not. I be. think the important thing is that that John and Simon don't see it. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you yes. mentioned Young Justice. Because it hit me when they, like, during this these two panels, like, what the Guardians say about the gauntlet is that, you know, it's disruptive to our, it's disruptive to our energies, its power source is clearly, clearly extra-dimensional, uh, you think it draws directly from the bleed, that would make its power nearly lim- limitless. This is the first time, I think, that they've, they've raised the idea that maybe this is powered by something from outside the regular universe, but this is not the first time that the multiverse has come up in re- in regards to this gauntlet. Because in the first issue of this book, when John's like, is that Krona's gauntlet or what? The Guardians say, like, no, it's not Krona's gauntlet. But it sure is strange that right after the multiverse shifts because of death metal, that this device would appear in the hands of this child. And we do not believe in coincidences just patterns that we don't yet see and the first time we ever met kelly was in young justice number one during an invasion of earth by gem world and that story and i think this one both remind us that gem world is a nexus of realities and magic based yeah, and so <clears throat> like a big part of that Young Justice first year is the team going to Gem World and getting lost in the multiverse because it like Gem World is just naturally co- connected to all the like these different universes. So since Kelly first showed up to help fight back against an invasion of G- from Gem World on in Metropolis, it's possible that that was her showing up on Earth for the first time. She may not have originated in the regular DC universe. More theories for your YouTube channel, Dan. I I finished a video right before I sat down with you. <laughs> oh, so we won't we won't get Chad's relevatory translation of the Guardian text. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else you want to say about this issue? I'm impressed at how much the pace seems to have accelerated all of a sudden. Yeah, because like 
when John John just suddenly saying, all right, screw it, and flying through that portal and being face-to-face with the hooded dude that may or may not be the Lightbringer, I was like, really? Okay, I can't wait to pick up here next month. And it seems like the on the Joe side of things, we got a lot of new information that, like, this to me is the polar opposite of the time we spent on New Korrigar. Because, like, this is just... It's given me a lot to chew on, and I'm having fun with it. And I hope Counselor Kell is okay. Looks like as of right now, Green Lantern number nine is still scheduled for release on December 7th. Uh, Solicit text says, with trillions of lives on the line, a ringless John Stewart battles the mad god for the future state of the universe. Interesting keyword. Uh, mm-hmm. m- meanwhile, Joe Mullen uh, solves the mystery of the Green Lantern Corps battery destruction as a new and ancient enemy arises. Is this the end of the Green Lantern Corps, or will it lead to a new beginning and resurrection of for the cosmic heroes? And uh, this one, Marco Santucci, Tom, looks like Tom Rainey is back. Um, but we have uh, our regular cover artist. Uh, it looks like we have Bernard Chang as the cover artist, but we finally get the uh, Alan Qua variants are starting up. So cool. Make sure to pick those up because those have been making some waves over on Twitter and they look really cool. Oh, I want to point this. I want to throw this out there in the same issue that we find out a guardian has been making weird weapons in secret. We also get the, the depowered lanterns giving access to the armory. So I don't know that they're going to find some cool shit in there hidden somewhere, but I really want to see them poke around for sure. All right, so let's uh, let's talk a bit about Twitter. I can do this real quick here. Uh, we did have a contest, folks, uh, launched a while back where the goal was a Twitter follower contest. We were going to get up to 1,000 Twitter followers, uh, 1K, and we were going to maintain that number for about a week. Um, and at, the, at that point, and only at that point, would the, um, would the contest end well uh, i posted on november 3rd we did it uh it was uh we we hit that and thank you to john jack um uh being a follower number 1000 as of right now we are currently sitting at 1006 followers uh so that's cool there's already another contest beginning which i'll talk about in a minute we've you, we've talked about this before. You guys should already know about this, but I'll, I'll talk to you about it in a minute. In the meantime, we have to talk a bit about who's going to win. I said that the rules for the contest were, first of all, you have to live in the continental United States uh, to be eligible. But otherwise, you just need to email lanterncast at gmail.com with your Twitter handle and uh, and make sure you follow us on Twitter. And that's it. Bonus points if you left us some feedback. All right, folks, those bonus points are, are in and have been tabulated. Uh, basically, those if you sent us an email with your Twitter handle, did the bare minimum, you get the entry, as promised. If you gave us the bare minimum on top of some feedback, your entry counted twice. And to make sure I am not uh, uh, cheating or anything like that, I have got my camera phone here in front of me. I've got video mode. Let me turn that. On right now, I will tip, post this uh, tweet to Twitter. I've got a bunch of names on a wheel here in front of me, um, and I'm going to click to spin. It is spinning. 
All right. It looks like it has selected Mark Cook. Mark Cook is the winner. Congrats. Uh, Yes, congrats to you. I'm going to spend one more time uh, just for in case Mark is uh, maybe not in the yeah, maybe aliens. not in the continental United States. Uh, and I'll, only I will know who the secondary person is who wins if we can't somehow get a hold of Mark or anything like that. Uh, but it's probably good to have a secondary, so I don't have to do all this work making this wheel again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark, uh, I will be in contact with you soon to uh, let you to get your mailing address and get it out to you. Um, uh, the plan is to get it out to you before the end of the year. But I, I think we've all heard at this point, including news, various news stories that uh, shipping during this holiday season is supposed to be absolutely insane. So uh, I will do uh, as soon as the mail, uh, we, I get it mailed to you. I will get you a tracking number so that you can follow it. And hopefully it gets to you by Christmas, if not by the end of the year. Should be plenty of time, I would think. I don't. I, I think. I, I don't think you'll do it. Yeah. Chad. I mean, I'm it. definitely going to do it. I just, I'm, I'm worried about the once the package is in their hands side of things. Because <laughs> I'm already, I'm already going to be going to the post office for lots of stuff, so I'm, I'll get it done. But it's just a matter of the post office. You're not sending a DHL, so it probably <laughs> will arrive. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. And uh, what's what's next? What else are we going to talk about? Listener feedback. We have some listener feedback we've been sitting on for a while. So, All right. So some listener feedback. Uh, we have an, a couple of different emails. We're going to talk about some of them in this episode uh, and save some others for the next episode. I think what uh, last ride when we cover the finale for last ride is that we'll talk about these other ones. You betcha. All right. So first up from Corey Hooper. Title, keep up the good work. He says, hi, guys. I've been listening to the Lantern Cast since episode 400 when you reviewed the 80th anniversary special. I knew nothing of the show before, but that probably wasn't the best episode to start with because I thought there were so many people and opinions on that monster of a show. Anyway, I've listened to every episode since, and I enjoy the perspective you guys have. I feel like you make me a smarter GL fan, and I always enjoy when Dan comes on the show, too. And there's more, but Dan. I mean, I mean thank you. <laughs> he, it, he was taking it, a bow. Couldn't you hear, Chad? <laughs> I, was, sorry, I, sorry. I was wiping the single tear from my cheek. <laughs> it's it's, it's fi- finally, after, after exposing myself to you two over and over again, <laughs> someone appreciates me. <laughs> Uh, He continues, he says, Chad, I feel like I'm right behind you in your eBay hunting. I was finishing my DC trading card sets when you were telling everyone how inexpensive sets were on eBay. Also, there have been plenty of Silver Age GL books I've been stalking. I'm slowly working on my way towards having a complete volume two set. I'm positive I looked at that issue of GL 16 you ended up getting. Uh, that's probably right. Uh, I, I told you guys when I started doing that, making those eBay recommendations, which I can't really take credit for. Basically all I tell you folks is look at eBay, just trust me and look at eBay. Um, but still it's a tip because the only upside of nobody giving a shit about green lantern right now is everything is going for super cheap. But I told you guys about it anyway, knowing it would bring me competition. Um, but it's only fair that we let the, the all the fans in on it. Um, yeah, that issue of GL16, which, by the way, guys, if you're playing along at home, that is the first appearance of Carol Ferris' star Sapphire. 
And I got that for like 91 bucks. And if you look at previous sellings of that in various conditions, it's gone from anywhere from lowest I've seen, maybe like 200, 250 bucks. So I got easily, easily uh, my copy for easily half of that. But uh, yeah, and those trading cards, God, my God, trading cards have gone through the freaking roof in the past year or so um, because there are boxes of Green Lantern. There's a there's a box of a Green Lantern trading card game that looks almost like magic style cards that I really want to get a like an entire sealed case for. And I can't find it for any less than three hundred dollars. Um, so, no, I won't be reviewing that on YouTube. Then he continues with a couple of questions. He says, Chad, is that you performing the song intro, right? Or that is you performing the song intro, right? I don't think I've... <laughs> That's, that yeah. was my reaction too, Dan. <laughs> he says, I don't think I've ever heard that mentioned in any show I've listened to. Uh, <laughs> no, it is not me. It's not anybody on the show, actually. Uh, we uh, have some friends out there. One of actually the listeners of this show is Daniel Adams. Uh, and Daniel is a member of a band out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi called the Bad Mama Jamas. And the Bad Mama Jamas put that out for us. Uh, and you can find uh, them over on Twitter uh, at thebmjs.com. So T H E B M J S. So uh, that's their Twitter handle. Uh, and, uh, they have, a, a Facebook page, uh, uh, as well, I believe, uh, out there in the ether somewhere or, or group rather. And uh, I think they actually just, uh, they talk a bit, uh, they, they, uh, started a bit of a podcast as well, uh, in addition to the stuff that they do as a band. So go give them some love. They are the ones who gave us that theme song. Uh, actually the bad man pajamas are also responsible for, uh, the theme song, which is no vocals, but all instrumental that, uh, I had, I paid for them to create, uh, for creative credit. Um, that is a wholly unique, uh, instrumental opening and closing that I paid them to do for us or for me rather, because if you're going to commission somebody to do something guys for you creatively pay them, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, he also asks, uh, also I grew up in the 708 area code, but I don't think either of you were from there. Did you inherit that number from previous hosts? Yes. Dan, what's the origin of 708 area code? I don't know. Jim did it. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is yes, but not in the way he would think. (laughs) Also, the answer is Google Voice. (laughs) It's just going to give you what it gives you. Yeah, I think, doesn't it, like, I don't know if it generates a random area code or what, or if it's just the next one in line, but... I don't know, whenever we were setting up the voicemail originally, and again, I don't really know details because I think Jim did all of it. But uh, yeah, it's the area code for the voicemail has nothing to do with any where any of us are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in I'm just outside of Austin, Texas, and these guys are up north on the East Coast. So, in fact, Mark's mailing address is uh, oh, yeah, I have it right here. <laughs> I have it right next to his social security and mother's name. <laughs> and uh, Corey wraps up, says, anyway, I always look forward to new episodes, whether it's about GL or not. And I appreciate how consistent you are with posting new content. You guys are great. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We have another email we're going to get a portion of, right, Mark? All right. So I'm keeping my word, Ken. We're doing the first part of your email before we get to all the I mean, obviously, we'll be doing some questions because they're embedded in your and the first part of your email. But you have a bunch of questions that you 
in honor of our 450th episode. That's why you had that list. So we will deal with that probably in the next episode because we can spend more time on it when we're based on the content that came before. We have we'll have be able to do it more justice. So Ken writes. Hi, thank you for answering my email on the last podcast. Sorry that it was so negative, but I really appreciate your response to it. So since this email is so long, I split it into two parts, a more serious response to the podcast, and there are more fun set of questions as a thank you and as a late celebration for your 450th episode. Chad, Chad, you interpreted my thoughts on the New Lanterns exactly. As someone who started reading Green Lantern when Simon was created, it's really disheartening for me to see a new Green Lantern created every one to two years and then be shuffled back into the back burner for the next Lantern. While I can appreciate Far Sector, would it not have been just as good or better if it was about Jess or Simon instead of Joe? I always compare it to the 2015 Omega Men series and how interesting it was for Kyle to be in that situation. Why couldn't they do that for Simon and Jess? Why create yet another human lantern instead of developing the ones we already have? It makes it hard to care for any green lantern when they just when they're just going to be replaced and forgotten before the end of the year. Dan, I like your channel. I watch it for a reason, but I fundamentally disagree with some of your points, like the idea of replacing the lanterns for certain stories instead of making a human lantern for every story. Why not make an alien lantern or use one of the human lanterns we already have? The story should be developed around and fit for the character, not the other way around. Creating a dozen of human lanterns tarnishes iconography and uniqueness of hip- of the human lanterns. DC can barely decide between Hal and John, but now fans have over 10 human lanterns to fight over for one monthly book. I know it's hypocritical to disagree with you since Kyle's my favorite and he replaced the whole core for an entire decade, but DC actually cared about him enough to give him great stories, memorable supporting characters, and unique villains. So we should, should we touch talk about some of that stuff first before we I mean actually it's almost yeah, before we go any further, let's do that because he's still got more stuff. So the further we go into it, the more we'll forget stuff he mentioned. I mean, I I would absolutely love it if Alien Lanterns got more spotlight. I would buy every single issue of an ongoing series starring nothing but Alien Lanterns. But the reality is that most readers want want a more familiar character that they can see themselves in and relate to. So like the most marketable protagonist of a Green Lantern book is going to be a human Green Lantern. And I know there's I know there's people that disagree with me on this point, but like the it's a weird it's a weird thing to try and express. I feel like on a certain level, how versatile a character is is dependent on how or is almost inversely related to how developed you want them to be, because like, OK, could you have told Far Sector's story with Hal Jordan as the protagonist? Absolutely not. Because you would have to make it a, diff- a completely different kind of story because Hal Jordan does not think about the world in the way that Joe needed to to navigate that story and those relationships. So, you know, you could have just you could have had Hal respond to the crisis in the city enduring. But <laughs> other than the fact that is a, a Green Lantern in the city enduring, a hundred percent of the story would have been different. And the only way to change that would have been to just write Hal dramatically out of character, which 
would make people just as mad as them not using Hal. So like, and, and no, I don't, I don't think that every single story idea should have a new character invented to tell it. But sometimes if you have a story that you're passionate about and you really want to tell it in the way that makes sense to you, sometimes you're going to be able to slot in an existing character and sometimes you're not, you know, I, you know, there's there's probably like no end to the number of Hal Jordan's stories or John Stewart stories that would fall apart if you tried to replace them with Kyle Rayner or Guy Gardner. You know, yeah. I think it's also I think it's also simpler than that um, in some cases. But I think it's if we're going to use the example of Far Sector, I think I think let's just take let's just take character and uh, storytelling and, you know, the decisions made thereof completely out of the equation. Let's take the creative process out of the equation. You have an extremely popular fictional writer, a woman of color, very prominent in this stuff, uh, out there doing big stuff and has agreed to work with your company. She has a story she wants to tell. You pair her with one of the biggest artists in terms of uh, quality, consistency, uh, uh, fan feedback, so on and stuff in Jamal Campbell. She has an idea. Are you going to force her to use one of these other lanterns or are you just going to let her tell her story? Sometimes DC makes the decision. Other times they let their talent run with it because they want that name on a title. Sometimes it's just business. And frankly, I I think Far Sector for as good as it was for as much uh, rope as they gave N.K. Jemisin and Jamal Campbell in that series I would not be surprised at all if they were just let's get NK Jemison to do something for us. She has a story she wants to tell. Sounds great. Have at it. Here's 12 issues. And we've seen both. We've seen good stuff come from both ends of that. Like, you know, DC made the decision to get rid of Hal Jordan and replace him with Kyle Rayner, which allowed us to get every single good Kyle Rayner story that's ever existed. Then 10 years later, Jeff Johns came along and said, I have a vision for Green Lantern. It needs Hal Jordan. That's how we got Green Lantern Rebirth and the Sinestro Corps War and Secret Origin and Rage of the Red Lanterns and Blackest Night. I mean, do you do you think Blackest Night would have played out the same way, the exact same way if Kyle was the main Green Lantern during that period? Because like you, you, you go back and you reread some of the stuff Hal does in that story, Kyle wouldn't have done all of those things. Like I, I'm not saying like all oh, the universe would have ended or whatever, but like to me, Blackest Night is a very good example of like that is a Hal Jordan centric story that needed Hal Jordan at the center, so it was good that they used Hal Jordan for it. True. Plus the relationship between Hal and Sinestro, for better or for worse, was a key element in how Jeff Johns wanted to approach all of it. So. Yeah, I mean, I just the the like we talked about it about it earlier in the episode. The more and more I get involved in the indie world uh, of comics, the more I just sort of understand a bit more about comics as a business. Uh, and it's it's hard for me now to not like you know I'm I'm you can't learn these basic fundamental truths about the business of comics and how it operates. Uh, in those aspects that it operates the same for image, for boom, for vault, for you know all these other things, you can't go, oh, it works this exact same way in these exact same instances for all these indie titles, but it doesn't work that way for DC. It doesn't apply to DC and Marvel. 
Like, no, it does. <laughs> there are universal business truths to the comic book industry that the, and and sometimes things are made for creative creative reasons for editorial reasons or whatever. Other times it's just business. For instance, I interviewed Chris Sheehan, who does, uh, is one of the artists or the main artist on House of Slaughter. For those of you who don't know, House of Slaughter is a brand new sort of prequel spinoff title of one of the biggest indie titles on the market right now, which is, Dan? Something is Killing the Children. That is correct. Is that, a, is that an, is House of Slaughter an ongoing or what is that it many is. or what is that? Wow. It, it is. So um, it, 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 I won't I won't go on long about it, but essentially one of the things that Chris told me is Boom Studios has like has everything in House of Slaughter run through like six editors who give him reference, who give him deep dive stuff that the public and fans of House of Slaughter don't know to make sure that that book maintains a feel and a bit of continuity to the big big book that boom studios is putting out right now and it's not a it's not a oppressive editor you know regime that's over there over that book it is very accepting and they're very willing to let the creative team do what they want but they're they're very much there to kind of keep keep the reins and keep the feel and keep the 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 world in which that extremely successful property has yielded for Boom Studios in the same vein. And honestly, that's a business decision. You don't sell as many copies of a book as you do like uh, uh, Something is Killing the Children and then greenlight a sequel, prequel type book as an ongoing to build on that universe and not want to pay very close attention that that book matches in some way. So that the, the feel of your already successful major title. So sometimes things are done for creative reasons and sometimes things are done for business reasons. Uh, and I think, I think it would shock some people who get very offended about certain decisions made in comics, how much it's actually really just business, no matter how personally you're taking it. Yeah. And I think there's also, there's also the issue that sometimes fandom's memory can be very short, you know, like, like for all the, for all the talk, we always see of like, oh, they're blowing up the battery again. We They did that X number of years ago. They did that X number of years before that. There's still people like I saw once once Future State ended and we were on like the first issue of the Jeffrey Thorne run. There were people already pro- proclaiming that, well, DC hates Hal Jordan. They're just never going to touch Hal Jordan again. DC threw away Hal Jordan. I'm like, it's. It's been like a month. Like he was, Hal was even in Future State. He was, he was, he had like a third of the second issue. Like, like maybe it's because we've been reading way more Green Lantern than most people have for way longer. But like in my mind, you know, in the 80 plus years the Green Lantern has been around, Hal Jordan has had more comics about him than all of the other protagonists combined. And even when they they sent him away for Kyle's tenure, which was the longest period without Hal as the main Green Lantern, he still came back. So like in my mind, like Hal Jordan is the safest character in the entire Green Lantern franchise. It's sometimes sometimes you just got to wait a little while before you see him again, because he can't be the center of all the stories. But like 
people see him disappear even for a couple issues and think the sky is falling. Like, like, and it's, it's, and I'm not saying like, like the, the person who wrote in is saying that, but it's like, it's just a general thing I've observed in fandom over the last year or so that it just, it hit me on like how, like, wow, I have such a different perspective on this. Cause I guess I look at Green Lantern history from like this, like bird's eye view where I take into account like, well, well, actually there's all of these characters that are constantly coming in and out of use and taking turns and cycling around. So like, like, you know, if, if your favorite character isn't in the spotlight right now, you just got to wait and eventually they will be again. And I, I don't mean that to sound reductive. Like I know how it feels to have your favorite character not show up for a long time, but it's like, it's like, I like when somebody says like, Oh man, they, why won't they give Kyle Rayner a series? I'm like, Kyle Rayner had a solo book for 10 years and then he was he had a 12 issue Ion series and then he was the main character of Green Lantern Corps and then he had the New Guardians for a couple years and and like there was gaps in between all of those but still like overall like Kyle has been served very well and he will be again before you know it you know and that's just kind of how I feel about all of the the human characters they all take their turn their turns do not last an equal amount of time to any extent. <laughs> and sometimes you got to wait extra long, depending on who the character is, but they always all come back. That's true. That's a good point. Um, let's, let me, let's wrap up the part of Ken's email. We're going to do continuing on where he left off. He, he goes to Simon, Simon, he had four issues before he was, he was replaced for Hal, put on a Doom Justice League book and then ignored until the next Lantern was created. Also, my problem with the new Lanterns is that they're really not that unique. With Joe, while Far Sector was fine, in my opinion, her backstory, personality and style are too reminiscent of John, Guy and Kyle. Do we need two human Lanterns who are ex-Marines? Do we need two human Lanterns who love anime and make anime themed constructs? Do we need two human lanterns with history as police officers and have arrogant personalities? I don't know if Joe was really arrogant. This book she is, but I don't think of that one. Uh, even Ty Pham has a lot of similarities to Kyle. I wish these new lanterns were more unique so they stand out on their own instead of being replaced again and forgotten so quickly. And wrapping up the last part that we're covering today. With the Thorn run, since when do I need a damn degree in astrophysics to understand a comic book? Green Lantern books like the Morrison run and the Silver Age stuff would go into sci-fi stuff. But the level of theories Dan and Chad had to go into had to go to in the last podcast to explain Thorne's lazy writing is an is another level. At the end of the day is Thorne's worth. Excuse me. Is Thorne's run worth the death of so many great alien lanterns or months of not seeing Green Lanterns like Hal, Kyle, Guy and Jess? No. And that's my problem with the series. I can appreciate your guys. You you. You guys, your guys positive spin on this book, but nothing will convince me it was worth it. Even if I really like how Thorne has been writing Simon and Kelly. Also, I don't care if it's been revealed. It's been exploded, imploded or was stolen. What happened to the battery caused the same effect for months of boring comics. He's got some points. I mean, yeah, we've we've talked about a lot of it. And and and, and honestly, that's I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. That's part of the reason why I enjoy having Dan on for these episodes, in addition to just being a friend and, and things like that. He's usually our positive voice for this stuff so that I don't get caught up in the, the negative tailspin of going, God, this is pissing me off. 
And plus, I fully acknowledge that there are aspects of this book that are aimed squarely at me. Like, yeah. like I, I started, I'm like, hell, I want to start my YouTube channel about Green Lantern. What should I, what should I call my, what would encompass my love of Green Lantern? Ah, Green Lan- a reference to Green Lantern Mosaic. And then the new book starts up and says, hey, you guys remember Green Lantern Mosaic? I'm like, yes, excuse me, what's happening? So, like, I'm being catered to in a way that a lot of fans aren't. But, and beyond that, like, I I am the kind of person that just thinks it's really fun to try and pick apart something and figure it out, at least in terms of stories, you know? So, you know, is, is that a requirement to fit, to like this story? I would like to think not, but... Maybe maybe at the end of the day, it is a poorly constructed story that appeals to a very niche audience that I happen to be a member of. Um, you know, part of me hopes that it ends up being one of those stories where once we get to the end of the arc, we can kind of look back on it and have like a different view of some things. But, you know, I don't blame anybody for for hanging on for like three or four issues or something and saying like, no, this isn't for me because like, again, I've, if, if I'm right about what the hell happened to the battery, I think that's great. I I think that's a really interesting spin to take on this taking almost a year to get to that reveal. People aren't going to hang around to find out that their expectations were subverted. Not that long, unless they have some other hook. And it seems like a lot of people don't have that other hook. I do, thankfully. But, you know, I I wish other people could be enjoying it the way that I am. Not the, not the specific way that I am. I wish they could also be getting enjoyment out of it like I am. Yeah. And the book has gotten better. I mean, it's still, I mean, there's still flaws in it. Some of the character issues, if you have issues with Joe early on, those issues haven't gotten better for most people. I don't see how they would have. If you have your if you were viewing some of the issues you, you, like I was am viewing them with Kel, with well, Kelly's another story, Freudian slip. But with Joe, with Joe, that the last few issues haven't really helped the cause, probably. But the John stuff has gotten better. The mystery, you know, unraveling the mystery is always interesting, whether we're going to like the resolution. That's another component. But it's I mean, put it this way, as much fun as I am having with this book month to month, I would never even think to put it on like a top whatever list of my favorite Green Lantern runs. You know, maybe that'll change once the run is over. But as is right now, it's just I'm just it's just a of book I'm having fun with month to month. But beyond that, you know, it's far from perfect or far from what I would have my ideal vision of what Green Lantern should be. Yeah, I yeah, it's not even the on the top of my to read pile or even the DC section of my to read pile. Nightwing is before this. Justice <laughs> League Last Ride is before this. Uh, Justice League, which is a book I'm only reading because I want to read the backup, which is the Justice League Dark Stuff is before this <laughs> so. god next january gold lantern is back i cannot <laughs> wait yeah yeah i mean I, I can i can understand that my my interest in the book at least has gotten greater over the last few months you still wonder where the whole sinestro thing assuming maybe the second season would be some payoff for that or else you still wonder what the whole point of that really was because it seemed like it was a 
it was a detour that was really not overly necessary to the story. But then maybe they'll maybe somehow with the tie into the Cordiums, maybe somehow there'll be some kind of tie in to that. Especially but, since he was most likely a shapeshifter when we saw him in this book. So he could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> also, second second arc of this story is supposed to be where we see Kyle and I think Guy again. So right there, they're coming back. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, even even well, even even Hal will find, they'll finally let Hal apparently show up. If, but then again, the covers have nothing to do with the <laughs> the issues. But if the cover has any kind of resemblance to the issue, at least we might actually get a Hal Jordan sighting by the time we get to ra- the wrapping up this arc, which is really nice. It's like, oh, what's next? All right, I'll try to keep this brief, but and then I'll, we're going to roll it over to the next episode too. But because this is pretty damn topical and it really annoyed the hell out of me a couple of days ago so it's kind of been eating at my soul a tad even though it's kind of i've been exercising the demons a little bit more since today is tuesday i want to talk about what dan (laughs) no just this is this is an incredible setup i have no idea what no then then it's probably going to be horribly disappointing that (laughs) uh so i want i wanted to talk about the whole spider-man ticket gate fiasco of getting tickets for spider-man no way home which for most of us most of the people who listen to the show would have known that the tickets went on sale at 1201 eastern on november 29th i think i think that was i think that was monday uh yeah that would be correct since today's still the 30th barely but it is that and for those people listening probably also know that everything went to hell that everything crashed that's that's why it's too bad i mean it's too bad it was so late because jim and it wasn't a holiday weekend because jim and i could have uh commiserated back and reminded us of the old days of trying to when comic-con tickets new york comic-con tickets used to go on sale during in, during the middle of the week that the fiasco the fiasco it always was getting into the queue and what was going to happen and things not working right that uh, everything i mean everything crashed before 1201 pretty much. I had Fandango open mostly just so I could find out what showtime I really wanted to go for based on the, the, in the particular house, the theater, auditorium, however you prefer to look, describe it, that I wanted to know which showing I wanted to, I needed to focus in on on my Regal app on my phone because I'm part of Regal Unlimited. So I was, I, I wanted to get my tickets through the phone because that's why, how I get my free ticket. But the, the Regal app doesn't bother telling you what theater you're in. It just tells you, oh, Till you get to the layout map and then you might know but you might not because some a lot of the theaters that are laid out the same these fandango it tells you right away oh it's an auditorium 13 or 15 so i would know which one i wanted to go for but fandango i started refreshing like around 11:59, and it was slow so i knew there was going to be a problem regal app just i was getting into the regal app by midnight and it was already doing the circle of death it was not loading so i knew this was going to be oh oh so much fun and Fandango, for the first couple of minutes, it would reload, but it never, ever updated to show the showings, make them live, because it did show you the showings previously, but they never went live. So for the next, next I don't know, let's say about the next hour, the first hour of this fiasco from midnight to 1 a.m., once in a while, a Fandango would work, enough where I finally figured out that I needed to go for the 7 o'clock. The Regal app was completely useless. But at least I was able to narrow down and for the few times Fandango came up that, hey, that's the showing you want to get to. It's in the right theater for you. So when you finally, ha ha ha, if the app ever worked correctly, I could just even for like, you know, three minutes, go into the Regal app, get the tickets I needed 
for theater 15, boom. But no, all night long, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. The Regal app, nothing was working. It wasn't loading my account. Sometimes you would completely lose any showing, saying there were no showings near me. And finally, like at three o'clock, and this is this is my little pearls of wisdom about this. And I don't know if it would have worked if I went like at 12.05 into this. But I know I did this once before for another. I think it was a Star Wars ticket launch where everything else was crashing. MovieTickets.com. MovieTickets.com is how I did did it for that other movie. And at three at three o'clock, I said, I don't even know if this is still in existence. Let me let me load it up. MovieTickets.com loaded. It showed me all the showings. Uh, I was able to get in, see the theater map. And eventually I got my tickets there. I almost got them through Fandango, but then it crashed on me. And of course, because I had already picked the seats that I wanted, it took like 10 minutes or so for the for those seats to not be held anymore for them to show up. And then I purchased them on movietickets.com. And I said, for one movie a year, I'm, I'm not going to be I'm not going to roll the dice. on still being able to get seat, the seats that I wanted. But then with the hell the Regal app came back up again, because who knows? And which was a good call, because by the time I got up in the morning and everything was working again, the theater of uh, everything, almost the entire back half of the theater, the top half, depending how you look at it, was all was already sold out. Now, what really annoys me about this is that it's unlike New York Comic Con, where every or like a like a concert tour and all the tickets for the concert go on sale, all the concerts go on sale at the same time or like the first leg of the concert tour goes on sale. Everybody doesn't need to be funneled into the system for the same time, like for a ticket drop like this, because while there will be an extremely small percentage of people, probably less than 1% of people who live in a region are buying tickets for outside their region. That's, that's an overwhelmingly minuscule, you know, statistically unimportant percentage. Chad and Austin wouldn't be competing with Dan and I and, and Jim on the East coast for the same theater and the same showings. So the, it's like, why don't they just stagger the release of these tickets and have like only split the country into two or th- two to four regions, give a two hour head start for one region. And you can only buy if by do it by a, a zip code, only the show only theaters in that zip codes showings go live. So you can't buy tickets for another one yet. Give them a two hour head start to funnel people in and then just do the same thing. Add another region. Add another, just to try to use that magic term that we all heard last year, flatten the curve. The whole point of flattening the curve, and you look at it from a, from a ticket perspective, instead of having 12 million people go in at one time for tickets, let's try to have 2 million people go in or a surge of 2 million people for the next six hours and spread it out. Because if you, because clearly the ticket sellers, the online ticket brokers can't handle tr- serious traffic of what the demand really is, even though it's rare, which is why they probably won't ever fix it because they can justify it saying it happens once a year or once every two or three years, you have an end game Spider-Man far from home demand. We don't really need to change the system because logically, if you can't handle traffic, there's two ways you deal with it. You either increase your capacity to handle traffic or you have to funnel the traffic in differently and spread it out. Thus the flatten the curve concept. So that's the idea. So that would really bug me because it's like it's a problem of their own creation because we don't need everybody in the country being forced to get tickets at the same time because you're really not competing for the same seats. And that's 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 pretty much it. It just really drove it drove me up the wall and it just seemed like it was it was needless. It was stressful for a lot of people. And it, I just don't understand why it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, not Comic-Con, you understand it's the same tickets for the same place, the same dates, the same times. 
everybody's competing for the same limited resource. Concerts, you can make the case, too, because there's always a percentage of people going who go to a concert not in their own region or if it's special. It's the last potential tour or North American date for this artist maybe ever. So a lot of people would have interest in going to that. This isn't like that. You, you know, most people are buying tickets for their own general region, even, even if it's not the theater five minutes or 20 minutes down the road from them. Most people on the East Coast are buying tickets for theaters on the East Coast. Didn't make a lot of sense, but needless to say, Spider-Man's going to, Spider-Man is going to be really big. That's, that's, that, that is the subtext to all this. It's going to be really, really big. <laughs> and and on top of that, how many of those tickets ended up in the hands of scalpers who are now flipping them for every every price between $100 and like $25,000? And that's and that's so stupid. I mean, I mean, if you <laughs> you really have to I mean, you have to be the ultimate Spider-Man fan or really have something wrong with you to be willing to spend thousands of dollars for something, you know, literally five days later, you'll be able to get tickets for. I understand seeing it on opening night is nice. I get it. <laughs> I would have been disappointed if I couldn't get tickets for the thirst for Thursday night. But I mean, it's not like, again, it's not like concert tickets where there's only like 25,000 of these period to go out. And there's no more. If you want to see that show, there's only 25. This is like, okay, there's one tomorrow night. There's one, there's like another 12 showings tomorrow night and the night after and the night after, but you're right. It, it, I'm sure that didn't, that didn't help people's frustration, but it was, it was ridiculous. Every, Everything went down and it would come up sporadically. And it was like something that normally would have taken literally two minutes for if a ticket were, you know, by the time it was up on Monday morning, if you go in, yeah, I could have bought it. I could have bought it in, in two minutes. But but it is funny. How, I'm just looking at all those showings that night. I, I'm going to say at least 70 to 80 percent of every single theater is already sold out. And nothing's been like that this entire year. Even movies that ended up selling out on on opening night, like some of the Marvel movies and things like that. Even a couple of days before, if you check the theater map, maybe half, half the tickets, if you were lucky, were sold in the theater. This isn't going to be one of those instances. This is going to be where, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be big. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it can be like $200 million opening weekend big, but I, I, I'm going to say it's probably now creeping up to where I'd say I'd be kind of stunning if this movie didn't make like close to 150, at least on opening weekend based on where we stand now. Yeah, it might do slightly better than Eternals. Yeah, just slightly. I, if, we'll it, at this stage of the game, I wouldn't be considering Eternals at like 71 something. I wouldn't be surprised if by the time we before we even get to opening night that the pre-sales alone would have already given them that much money. It probably is going to happen. They probably will have the pre-sales on Spider-Man could eventually outsell um, what the opening weekend of the Eternals was, even without accounting for you know the few additional seats that are left that people might do on walk-ups. But it was like, yeah, it was like a Comic-Con experience all over again, except I had no one to commiserate with because it was midnight. <laughs> yeah, and I'm definitely not, I wasn't going to even try and shoot for opening night, let alone maybe not even opening week. I think my plan is to see it with some people from bat city. Some whether it's everybody I went with to go see uh, venom, let there be carnage or, or just some of the people I just, I think the earliest I'm probably likely to see it is the week after it's out because I just, it's, I was telling Mark, I'm already a relatively, you know, publicly speaking interest introverted person in terms of crowds and stuff like that. 
but the pandemic has just sort of escalated that it's like i like my space and i get really anxious now in crowds <laughs> so same, same yeah yeah i would much rather just like yeah let's just let it calm down and then i'll go <laughs> yeah like i'm 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 going to see this with my dad and my brother and we're probably going to wait like cuz this comes out like the same week as christmas or something right 16th this comes out the same yeah, december the week 16th so, yeah okay so like pro- maybe like the week between Christmas and New Year's or something, we'll end up going to it. Like, like whenever, whenever I look at the the theater showings and suddenly there start to be, be less of them, then then we'll go to the theater to see the movie. I would say the pandemic has affected me only from the perspective that, yeah, I, I, I mean, I never like you know, in a theater. I never like having people sit next to me that I don't know. But I guess I, it just makes you a little more leery. Now, I think it's only it's only really happened twice. It happened for Shang-Chi and it actually it happened in, Ro- in Rocky Four. Our entire row was sold out. But luckily in the seats that I like, which is one of the reasons I like these, they're, they're kind of the end, the two seats at the end of the row in the upper section. So you have the bar to put your feet on and everything else. But I always take the la- I always take the, the seat that faces nobody that's next to the, en- the entrance seat. So at least this time. It won't be me sitting next to somebody. It'll be my friend. So I'm okay. <laughs> but, but every, I'm telling you, I checked, I checked even before we recorded tonight. There's, I think there's in the top, in the upper half of the theater, there's, and that's in that house, there's probably like 12 seats left that haven't been sold. And even the front part, the set, you know, the, the front part closer to the screen, probably you're getting close to half of that is already sold out. And this is only since Monday morning. So I would be, I'm this is going to be I would be surprised if it's not going to be the first time in a long time that you're going to have showings that are completely sold out long before you get to the night of the actual showing. And that hasn't happened probably since Endgame. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the last thing I was saying was like, man, all this is happening. And the end of that trailer proudly proclaims only in theaters. <laughs> I mean, everything pointed to this movie being big. It didn't surprise me that it, I was hoping everything wouldn't crash. I knew there'd be in, a lot of interest. They, I mean, in a way, they maybe timed it the way they did, hoping it wouldn't crash by doing it like on a s- Sunday night slash Monday morning, that there'd be less people up around midnight Eastern time. I mean, it was, it was in the wheelhouse of West Coast people perfectly because it was only, you know, what, like nine o'clock. But but for the East Coast, they maybe they were hoping that they wouldn't get as much either way. Needless to say just shows once again if there's a movie people want to go see they're going to go see it so yes but right now what you should go see <laughs> is some is some quality content over at mosaic comics on youtube because you know sometimes you want a fun and informative conversation about green lantern so you go to the lantern cast but other times you want a well-researched analyt- analytical video essay about green lantern and that's when you go to mosaic comics on youtube I cover new releases as well as whatever weird and interesting aspect of Green Lantern history that I think would be fun and worthwhile to talk in depth about. So that's youtube.com slash C slash Mosaic Comics. Nicely done as always, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) And for us, if you'd like to contact us or keep listening to us, even though I think Dan's going to put us out of business, (laughs) he'd be putting himself kind of out of business or uh, he will absorb us back so it'll be uh things will come full circle sorry and, mark there'll there'll be an entry-level position waiting for you thank you thank you very much <laughs> uh as as long as you fired chad i'm okay with that <laughs> uh 
Uh, Deal. <laughs> Lanterncast.com, uh, the website. Lanterncast. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Mark. Chad has to sing our new theme song. Oh, you're right. And I then can't you fire him, Chad. And, yeah. and then you fire him. It's like, <laughs> lanterncast.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. The voicemail for for texting also is 708lantern. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. And yes, next episode should be Last Ride, the wrap-up. And then we and the wrap up. And Lance, we did not forget about you. We're doing your your mail in the next episode too. But so we'll f- catch up on feedback next episode too. For sure. And uh, I did want to mention this just because as we record this, it's the 30th, and tomorrow is the first. Uh, so we have one month left. So I was just pulling up the solicits. Uh, Green Lantern stuff that you guys can pay attention to uh, before the end of the year. Uh, by the way, the first issue of the Human Target series is out, um, and that one uh, has a lot to do with the Justice League International. I've read the first issue. They really don't get mentioned until the last page, uh, so expect a little bit of a slow burn on that book. Now, these are all guys, all these release dates are just subject to um there's a lot of uh, shipping and and material issues in the comic book industry right now so delays are highly probable but as of right now in terms of expected stuff we should have up to the human target issue three by the end of uh, this month uh dc versus vampires is happening right now first issue of that is out first two issues i think of that is out and uh we should have issue three this month it is highly hal jordan green lantern involved and it's also very good. And yes, we will get to that at some point. Uh, up to you guys. Uh, this is kind of spec on my part, but Justice League, the annual 2021, this is supposed to be the start of the lead into the Legion of Superheroes stuff. And since the Legion of Superheroes stuff is supposed to lead into the Gold Lantern stuff, it might be worth your time to pick up the annual in advance of all of this. J- just so you you understand what you're dealing with here. So the Legion thing... Wait, let me see. I have it right here. So the <laughs> Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes. I, I'm looking at the solicitation for number two, which comes out in February. It's it's described as the Gold Lantern Saga Part Two. <laughs> Who mm-hmm. is the Gold Lantern? What does his power source have to do with the Great Darkness? Is the Gold Lantern everything he promises to be? Like, if if you are at all interested in Gold Lantern stuff first come to my channel because i talk about it constantly but second read this book <laughs> it's kind of this is where they're going in they're doubling down on it for sure uh justice league incarnate comes the first issue comes out this week um the, so issue two should be out in december uh another thing uh that uh dan actually mentioned a while back that caught my eye catwoman lonely city number two yes uh, is coming out in the cover features Catwoman leaping over cars in Gotham with something green glowing in her hand. And one of of the solicits, I think, had mentioned something about her stealing something. Yes. Uh, Well, I forget what the solicit said, but there are three covers to that issue. The first one you described. The second one is, you know, it's it's a shot of some people sitting in an apartment and one of them is wearing like a a hockey jersey or something that has a Green Lantern logo on it. The third one is just some Catwoman characters and then there's Alan Scott's ring in the middle. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have read the first issue of Catwoman Lonely City. There's no Green Lantern stuff in it whatsoever. I still highly recommend that book because issue one was completely fantastic. And oh, I need to get the uh, who who is it by? Uh, it was the artist on New 52 Wonder Woman. The variant you're talking about for issue two is by Marguerite Savage. Savage? Something like that. I never pronounced that name right. Uh, Cliff Chang. So this, it's funny. This this project almost reminds me of an indie book because Cliff Chang does literally everything. He is the writer. He is the artist, inker, colorist, letterer. The only thing he does not do is publish it himself. So if you want a gorgeous looking, really well done Catwoman story that will apparently have some Green Lantern connection to it, this is a very good thing to read. For sure. Um, we also, of course, on on the seventh, so next week, uh, have Green Lantern number nine coming out. Um, so pay attention to that. But also that same week, again, currently scheduled, is Suicide Squad number ten, which means Suicide Suicide Squad number nine is already out. Uh, and this is the part where the squad goes to Oa to steal something. I have issue nine. I've already read it. Joe is involved in that. Joe does appear for several pages in that issue. So, um, yes, issue nine and issue 10, maybe even issue 11. Uh, definitely check out Suicide Squad as well. Uh, and, and normally, guys, I wouldn't do all this to just tell you about stuff that's coming out this month. But in this case, we have like the Green Lantern book, which is just issue nine. But we have all these other random spots like Human Target, Justice League, uh Catwoman Lonely City or whatever that lantern related stuff can appear. Uh so there's quite a lot of potential Green Lantern content to consume just in the month of December alone. So that's why I thought I'd bring it up. Yes. Also mileage will obviously vary on these, but uh yeah. Maybe maybe don't read Suicide Squad number nine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I personally folks I didn't like it. Uh, yeah, it was bad. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I don't think my my shop had it when I when I looked. I didn't ask for it. To be fair, I looked and I didn't. I think, but I think I was there the day it came. It was it came out. So now I feel a little bit better about not making a big effort to get it. <laughs> yeah, so we won't oh, yeah. go into and, it. And but, Justice uh, League Infinity Six comes out this month as well. Nice. So yeah, we won't. I won't. We won't go into it. But uh, say, suffice to say, almost everything in the solicit and cover of that issue was wrong. And uh, the green, the green lantern stuff wasn't that good. And it didn't do a good job of selling me on the suicide squad themselves as something I would like to read about. So maybe, I don't know, maybe if if you had to cut something from your pull list that week, that would be maybe a good candidate. Yeah, reading reading issue nine alone, I can tell you if we talk about it on the show, it's going to be very high level. We're not doing a review, <laughs> like a full on recap commentary thing. <laughs> we'll just be like, and this happened. You're welcome. That's up. To the, you're you've, you're up to date. <laughs> Woo! All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>